0: At some point, um, we're only as good a parent as we are full ourselves. And it's amazing how much adults endure pain and at the same time don't endure pain. Like we run away from pain, but we settle amazingly for miserable lives sometimes and for niggling you know, in the back of our brain, something's wrong, but we don't pay attention to it. So if there's anything I could say to you about depression with children, it's that, um, Sometimes they're depressed because they can watch you and see that you're depressed and see that you're not okay and that the marriage isn't okay. And if you wanna have secure children, the number one thing is be crazy about the spouse, be crazy about their father and their mother and, or be strong and um, stable yourself. So you, you can't hide anything from children. The myth is that you can, but you can't. You can, you can not fight in front of them, you, but they, they read your spirits, they read your eyes, and they know everything, even if they're two years old. So before we talk about kids' depression, um, be sure you deal with your own. So as we're talking, uh, um, I want to start with a prayer. Um, it's a Franciscan prayer. It's actually a benediction, but I'm going to put it at the front because I can. <clears throat> um, so here it is, you can keep your eyes open, we're just gonna pray out loud. May God bless you with discomfort, at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people, including yourself, so that you can work for justice, freedom, and peace May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, and starvation, including yours as well, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. That being said, let's jump right in. Parenting, depression. Let me read you. Um, uh, sometimes, um, hold on a minute here. <clears throat> um, sometimes, um, uh, I think children, um, if there's anything that goes unnoticed, it'd be children's depression because parents believe children don't, aren't people. And you're probably an exception because you're an exceptional group, but you'd be surprised how much I say to parents who are in Christian circles, um, your child is a person. Well, He won't remember that, or uh, he's just get, trying to get out of doing his chores, or, and they don't take children seriously. We, we, we attribute a motive to them that's superficial. Before we check them out, and the only way you can really, um, really not do that and not miss your kid is if you're tuning in to them. To tune in to them, you got to tune in to yourself. So from the book, um, uh, conscious, the conscious parent. It's not a Christian book. It's a little Indian and mystical, whatever. But they, I extrapolated a few questions for, for a little bit of a checkup for yourself. Do I take care of my needs as a parent? Have I confronted my own fears? Have I examined my past and seen how playing out a particular life script on my family of origin? Am I aware of how I protect, project my emotions onto my children? Am I aware of how I use my children to meet my own needs? Am I aware of how my children trigger my own unfinished anger? Am I, when I am angry or depressed, do I tend to anchor these feelings of a source outside myself or inside myself? Have I unconsciously based the pillars of my child's success on their ability to do and produce? In other words, do I have to have my children look good for me to feel good? Do I put pressure on them to be something that I wasn't? Do I view my child with a sense, with sense of lack or a sense of abundance? Do I look at my child and see them for all they need to become, or am I able to sit with my child in the wonder of who they already are? How do I engage with my child? How do I listen to my child passively or actively with engaged presence? How do I help foster my child's connection with their inner self? And parenting, really, if, if depression's a funny thing, um, there are a lot of children who are depressed. There are a lot of people who are depressed and they don't, and they get comfortable with it. But my theory is on that is James Hatch, an old, he's, he's dead now. He died a few years ago. He was a professor at Columbia Bible College in Columbia, South Carolina. He was a wise old man. He raised four boys, fine, fe- fine fellows, But he was son of an alcoholic, and he, when you talked to him, he just couldn't put two words together, it seemed. He was socially kind of awkward. But when he taught, he was a master. But he said, need is the wellspring of motivation. So if your children aren't motivated, and excited, and exploratory, and creative, then their needs aren't met. And that may not be that you're missing them. It may be that they've misunderstood. But if there's anything I'd say to you that's important, you don't have to listen after I say this next sentence. You can just say the other is extra. This is what you came for. Um, Be in relationship. They're people. Talk to them. Be intrigued with how they think. Uh, Don't give short answers. Don't assume you know them. Keep getting to know them until they're 25. You know, you don't know everything. There's deep waters running in your children and you don't get to hear it because you don't listen. You just don't listen. And it doesn't really matter if you play ball with them and spend time with them. If, you know, kids are depressed because they're lonely and disconnected. You know, I I said to the men this morning and the elders, look around for some guys to mentor. I know so many young men that are just got a hole in their heart because they need connection. It's never too late to take care of that. Uh, the hunger never dies. I mean, you. some of you are 30, 40, 50. If your parents are disconnected, if they change now, it would just set you free, wouldn't it? If they really wanted to know you and they asked questions about you and they loved your soul and let you know that you were in their hearts and they think that maybe they do, but they don't tell you, but it's never too late to enjoy that and it'll sure fast speed, uh, fast forward you to a healthier place. So if there's anything else you need to know, Uh, that's more important than that. I don't know what it is. And you know, the funny thing about it is, um, God is the best parent in the world and guess what we have with Him? Relationship. The Trinity is in relationship with each other and He's in relationship with us. And He created us for relationship. He created us for Him. So don't forget that your children are people and whatever else they need, they need you. They need your presence. They don't need you doing something while you're listening. Electronics, but it's more than just laying down the, the the cell phone. It's really just wanting to know your kid. They're fascinating, and I think sometimes we focus on what they're doing wrong and not on who they are. And, and I'm big for focusing on what's wrong. You've got to discipline them. I believe in it. Um, but at some point, um, they just want to know that you're you have them in your heart. Um, <clears throat> Let's see. I want to read you some symptoms of children that would be depressed, and, and you can um, take a look. And, and you might want to look at your own children, look at children that play with your children, and it might be something that you, you might look at your own childhood. Um, let's see. Symptoms that your kids might be in trouble. Insomnia or nightmares, um, especially if they, um, anything that's, that starts suddenly, uh, pay attention to it. But, but at the same time, you might, like a frog in water, if you put a frog in water and you turn the heat up slowly, they'll cook to death. So you may be used to um, seeing them depressed and not recognize as depression. Being startled easily, racing heartbeat, aches and pains, fatigue, difficulty concentrating, emptiness and agitation, muscle tension, Um, unusual guilt or shame, uh, unusually sensitive to correction, um, feeling sad or hopeless, confusion, difficulty concentrating, anxiety and fear, withdrawing from others, um, feeling disconnected or numb, uh, mood swings. uh, uh, And I may be describing some of you, actually. Um, If you do, go get help. having trouble functioning at work and home, uh, suffering from severe anxiety or depression, um, experiencing terrifying memories or nightmares, um, avoiding more and more things, that um, activities, uh, emotionally numb and disconnected from others. I mean, just pay attention. Don't, don't say, oh, it'll pass. It's a stage. Ask your child questions and be involved with what's going on with him. Um, A lot of times when a child regresses, or or, um, uh, uh, um, experiences or or reveals that they're overly sensitive to things, a lot of times, I mean, I can't tell you how many adults I've said, my whole life my parents said I was just too sensitive, but the truth is the kid had been sexually abused and they weren't listening. Um, They thought, well, you're too sensitive. And so the, which came first, chicken or the egg? So a lot of times when it looks like your kid's too sensitive, he may really be too sensitive about something real. And, and I think the biggest uh, thing I would say to you is ask questions. Um, what is a wound? Can, can, got a definition for a wound? What's, what's a wound? What's an emotional wound? How would you describe it? Cause hurt or harm. That's, that's, let's say let's something that's a hurt or harm to the soul, you know, and when a child is soul wounded, um, depression sets in. And, you know, it's so easy, we're going to show later a tape of how sensitive a baby is to the mother's affection. And um, uh, um, I think what we don't understand is how, um, how little it takes to hurt a kid. And probably by the time I get through, you're going to say, well, I, don't, I can't move now because anything I do is going to be terrible because they're so sensitive. But you know what? The good news is um, confession and honesty takes care of it. You just have to pay attention. Um, there's no such thing as perfect parenting. I, I, guess, I guess you believe that. But I want to read you um, a list of symptoms. And the symptoms um, describe a baby with no sense of being. And what I'm finding out, um, we talk about parenting, and we're talking about depression. There's a low-grade depression that adults and children have because they're not bonded, because not there's bonding issues. And before you say, well, that's what happens to parents who reject their kids. But in really good families, there might be a kid, maybe you have three or four kids, maybe you have one but you were traumatized during the birth, or you were distracted, or your marriage was shaky, or the kid reminds you of an uncle that abused you, or um, they, you, ha- you got sick, and when you came back, they were stiff and wouldn't bond and wouldn't sink into you when you held them. I mean, you'd be surprised, um, and then you take it personally, and then they, you react to them, then they react to you, and by the time they're 13, there's a rift between you that you can't explain. Perfectly good people, it happens to. You don't have to be a bad parent for that to happen. So when I think about depression, I want to say, or, or a kid either might be depressed or might be acting out, and no matter how much you discipline, it doesn't seem to affect them. They just challenge you to discipline more, and they, you have a kid, maybe all your kids are doing fine, but this one kid, you say, well, you're just a bad apple. But your bonding, their first three years might have been different, and you don't realize it. So I'm gonna read you a list uh, that would describe a kid who doesn't have a sense of well-being, or a sense of being, and it's a matter of degree, of course, but if your kid has uh, a lot of these symptoms, or if you have a lot of these symptoms, then you need to look at the first three years of life. need to look at the bonding issue. Okay, I'm gonna read them. Um, There's 24, so I'll go fast. Grayness of life, negativity, criticalness, fears, loneliness, incompleteness, emotional paralysis, or overly emotional triteness of life, boredom, self-hatred, ultra-sensitivity and hurt feelings, extreme neediness combined with distancing from others, envy, jealousy, seldom satisfied, restless, anxiety and tension, inconsistency in relationships, constantly comparing, childish and immature, narcissism, Addictive behavior, sense of abandonment and rejection, ambivalence toward women, because that sense of being comes from mother, if, if, they, if they're not attached appropriately, then they start with a problem with women. Series of emotionally dependent relationships, enmeshment, quest for one idealist person who will complete them, difficulty, um, or, or having a spirit of nothingness. Now that sounds like a depressed person, doesn't it? Um, but if that's, if that's true um, of an adult, then you can go back and look, uh, if it's a consistent low-grade depression their whole life, you can go back and look at uh, what happened the first three to four years of their life. And by the way, um, this is most extreme. You know, we're just starting with that first, but there's, there's a sense in which, um, um, back to the quote by James Hatch, need is the wellspring of motivation if your child um, is just not enthusiastic about life, then assume, not depression necessarily, but but assume um, a sadness and a, a lack of care, which might be the stage before a depression. So you don't have to wait till they get depressed, just pay attention to, I mean, the children are so creative, so what happens when that disappears? Usually there's a reason. It's not, it's not um, uh, it doesn't take a lot to make children happy, but there are certain things that have to be there for them to be at rest with themselves. Um, I need a notebook. Okay, I'm going to do the the smart thing. I'm going to go like this. Okay. Um. Causes of depression. Uh, we've already talked about a sense of well-being. Um, in addition to that, let me give you a couple of verses that would be really cool. Matthew, Psalm 27:10. When my mother and father have forsaken me, God will take me up. Uh, Ezekiel 16:5 through 14. And I'm 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 going to read this verse to you. Uh, um, I'm going to mix what you do for your kid and what you do for yourself. This one's for you. For those of you who really have felt betrayed by your parents. um, uh, Psalm, Ezekiel 16, uh, Israel, uh, and we can put our name in there because we're grafted in, right? And so God said to Israel, I passed by and I saw that you were, in, your, uh, in the field with blood all over you and nobody had cared enough about you to cut your umbilical cord and to wipe the blood from you. From the day you were born, you were despised. And I said to you, live. And I took you home with me and I raised you and I put beautiful clothes on you and a white dress and linens and jewelry, hung jewelry from your neck and I lay with you. It's a scene that's very intimate and that's the scene of the God chasing us down and, 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 he, and he likes babies. You know, Psalm four, Isaiah 49, 11 through 14. Would a mother reject a child at her breast? Perhaps, but I will not reject you. I've written you in the palms of my hands. And at some point, you are God to your, your child. If, if, if you ever have a problem with your view of God, I'll guarantee you it started with your view of your parents. If I ask you to make a list of what your parents were like uh, individually, and then I ask you what your list of God is like, I'll see a lot of repetition. You know, try it, it's, it's a stunning exercise. So a lot of times we have to spend our whole life getting that image corrected. Um, um, my, my concern is that um, we assume that God is like that, but your children do too. James Hatch says, the same guy I was telling you about, he said, um, parents are little gods representing the big God. And sometimes children have a culture shock when they were introduced to the big God because their parents were so lenient and so they spoil them and they don't really believe that there's Mount Sinai that thus saith the Lord, it's thus saith the kid. Or they don't believe if they're, if they're known in all their ugliness, they'll still be loved unconditionally. But that's what God does. So if, so you are the the, the bridge between them and God and you have to get them ready, you have to get them so they aren't in culture shock and so that they can believe that God loves them. But I'll guarantee you, if you don't love them well, they'll assume God doesn't love them well either. Um, Hosea 11:3 3, and 4 is a really cool portion. It uses phraseology like a father holding and helping a son to walk. Um, it's amazing to me how many times God refers to himself as father or some sort of a nurturer, as though he knew there would be a generation of abandoned children or children that got missed. But... But what you need to remember is some of those abandoned children are in your home because you've missed them and you didn't intend to. You know, or you, you've you got a attitude about who they are and there's this, this negative thing between you that never quite gets settled. But just don't assume it's all their fault. That's all I ask you to do. Then there's insecure attachment and Zuleda is in another seminar. She's so talented they have to put her in lots of different seminars. She's going to come and explain the insecure attachment, and we have a video for you to explain a little bit more about that, and we're even going to talk at the end if we have time about, um, which would be a miracle, um, about what you can do if your kid's not quite bonded, called holding, and um, we'll talk a little bit about that. Loss of self, a people pleaser, role plays, performs good for all the wrong reasons. These are causes of depression. If you have to, your whole life, be what everybody wants you to be, you should be depressed. Like if you had to go to prison and they told you when to eat breakfast and told you when to eat lunch and told you when you could breathe, you'd be depressed, wouldn't you? Maybe if you deserved it, maybe you'd think you're doing penance, but nevertheless, if you don't believe that you're lovely and that that if people knew you, they'd really like you, then you develop a false self and you perform seeking affirmation and your good feelings about yourself come from outside of you. But eventually, people who live for another's expectations are likely candidates for depression. Parents who will be there when and only when the child succeeds, who look at their children as human doings, not human beings, who are, like, are likely to have depressed children because they know they have to pull it out and they know if they tested it, they wouldn't be. And, and you, may not, you may love your children unconditionally, but at the same time, you may not be secure enough to love them unconditionally. You may, you may need them to, to do better than you. You may need them to succeed so that you don't uh, look like a failure. And so sometimes our parenting becomes an attempt to uh, shore up our image because our sense of ourself is based on people's, cons- people's affirmation from the outside. And did you know that rebels don't get depressed? Children who rebel don't get depressed. They get mad, they get in trouble, but they don't get depressed. Good kids get depressed. Think about it. And when you have a kid that's really good, always good, and never disagrees, and is just the bright shining star, the golden girl, the golden boy, it, it, might be, it might be good, but it might not be. Okay, they might be under the burden of having to perform. And those kids crash and burn when they go to college. Or they crash and burn five years into their marriage, which is, does more damage. So the question is, why are they good? So don't just assume if you've got good behavior that you have a kid that's secure and here she is um, i think we're doing good you want to you want to show your insecure pass those charts out for insecurity
1: having me even though I'm late. Have you had fun so far?
0: No, I wouldn't say that's the word. Oh, that's not it. Okay, okay not the sorry. Word.
1: We just came from fun, so. Oh, did you? Food is Good. fun, right? Yeah. Yeah. Alright. So, um, I guess I am segueing here into attachment styles. So, Ann Bowlby is a psychologist who Um, used her own life experience just like a lot of counselors do to uh, make an observation and what she noticed was that she was more attached to her father as a child and did not have a good connection with her mother and so she so she noticed that the, she observed that you know that that had implications for her life across her lifetime, and so she set out to study that the mother, um, uh, the mother-child bond, the attachment that the mother has to the child, and how that impacts, um, how that impacts the child for the rest of their life, um, in their ability to uh, in their ability to relate to their family members, to relate to other people. Um, and their ability to do relationship. So she came up with one, uh, four different attachment styles and um, after studying this across um, across the span of, of numbers of children and their bonding. But what she found was that 65% of the population forms a secure attachment to um, you know forms a secure enough attachment they're able that they're able to relate well to others they are able to do relationship in a healthy way And what she found was that the children who developed secure attachments, um, they were secure. They were able to go out and explore and then come back to their mother and then go out and explore and come back to their mother. You all have seen toddlers who they go out, they play, and then they come back and they go out and then they play and they come back. And those kids are generally um, happy, Um, they're Pretty bright. Their brains are free to kind of explore and see what's going out in the world. Um, that is a description of a child who really believes because the the because the um, the mother child bond has is secure. Really believes and trusts that their needs will be met, and so that's the ideal. That's what they're looking for. And with Ann Bowlby, the psychologist, what she noticed was that she didn't have that. So she would have fallen into one of the other three categories. Um, avoidant attachment um, was the second name. So if you're following along, I'm just going to go down and follow along. But avoidant attachment, that's about 20% of the population. And in this one, the, the child doesn't feel a secure attachment to mom. And so um, they. Subconsciously, subconsciously believe that their needs are not going to be met. So this doesn't mean that mom um, has done anything um, over the top. It may just mean that you know, something as um, subtle as uh, she's overwhelmed at the time um, in the first th- in the first uh, months of the child's life or in the first three years and I should actually add that uh, these things happen the attachment happens within the first three years and especially within the first six months of a baby's life is where the that bond is formed so um, so mom could just have be distracted and have other things going on and just not really be tuned into baby's needs mom could suffer from postpartum depression there could be transition going on in the life of the mom so it's not necessarily something that the mom Mom is doing it might be an external factor. It might be a trauma that the mom has experienced that she's not able to be present and conscious with her baby. So that might be um, something. So it could be a number of different things. But the response, but but whatever the thing is, the mom's response to baby is distant and disengaged. And what you end up with is a baby who's not very exploratory and is kind of emotionally distant. They don't. They don't. Re- they're not really connecting the way that they're supposed to. So um, the third type is an ambivalent attachment, and as you go down the list, they get a little more severe. So ambivalent attachment is 10 to 15% of the population. So these children are anxious and insecure, and they're angry because they for sure cannot rely on their needs being met. They're pretty sure that the world is not a safe place for them and that they're not able to get their needs met. Um, And in this, um, mom's response to the baby is inconsistent, in other words, Sometimes she's there, and sometimes she's not, and the baby doesn't know whether or not uh, they're really going to get what he need, and sometimes to the point of neglectful. Um, so um, You end up with an anxious, insecure, and an angry child um, who cannot bond because they don't trust that their needs are going to be met. The third type is a disorganized attachment. This is also, again, about 10 to 15 percent of the population. Um, in this one, um, there's no strategy to have the child's needs met at all. So an ambivalent attachment, it's a little more like a pendulum swing. The child's not sure, so he can't trust. In this one, a child is completely neglected. And this is actually my, my favorite um, analogy for this are the orphanages. Uh, you know, there the, are the orphanages in Russia. Um, back in the day where they would put them on a schedule and they would come by at certain times and they would feed the baby at cer- certain intervals or they would change the babies at certain intervals. Basically because there were so many orphans that they couldn't care for them any un- other way. But there was no nurturing and there was no bonding and there was no loving, actually what I'm talking about it was probably more closer to ambivalent attachment. But um, there's no nurturing, there's no bonding. And did you know that with those babies, some of them perished because of the not because they weren't getting their basic needs met because they were getting their basic needs met but because the nurturing and the bonding were not there, so we have these levels of attachment here, um, which set the template really for a child to, um, to bond and to relate and to be able to love well and to be able to receive love, and we have a video I think that we want to show that demonstrates um, a current study on attachment that's called the still face experiment and what you're going to see is you're going to see a real-life example of what it looks like um, just in a short a little short example of what it looks like when mo- when baby when mom is distant and baby can't reach her and um, and I want to tell you this baby ends up okay because she is in a secure bond with her mom um, but watch it and see what you think So I'm hoping what you notice is that both um, babies in those uh, um, videos—that was uh, an example of how they respond when they have an insecure attachment and when they're feeling insecure. Um, The thing is, as parents, that we bring what we bring to the table is an opportunity to um, build a foundation of right relationship. So. I guess what I would want to lend to you is that um, you can do all the right things, and if you don't have the attachment piece, then you'll miss the whole thing. So um, the attachment piece is foundational to everything else that you want to do. I'm
0: just going to say one thing about if you have a child that you think has an attachment issue. we do things in the office called holding That's comes from foster client attachment expert but you can do something this simple let's say you have a child that says no and he never really breaks and you never really feel like he submits to you and this one runs off his back and he's, he just never really gets soft and submissive even if you paddle him and you'd have to beat him to death to get that so you don't want to do that by the way another abuse of children is to do anything in anger paddling is good but paddling uh, or talking in anger is never good. Paddling says, I reject your behavior. Anger says, I reject you too. So if you, whatever form of discipline you use, if you're angry, then you're abusing your child. But back to holding. If your child doesn't seem to get it, then holding either put him on the couch and sit on one arm and one one hand under the leg and so you can get up when you say, I'll do it your way. That's all you do. You have to look him in the eye and say, I'll do it your way. Or hold on to them if they're babies and, until they relax and say, and they look at you and they soften. You have to win that power struggle. And for a kid that has an attachment issue, you can't go through the door of loving him more. You have to go through the door of getting control back. Because by the time they are got an issue, they don't trust. And so you have to break them down a little bit by holding them and having them um, submit to you and then you can love on them and bond with them. That's like a five-second review on an hour discussion, so I'm sorry about that. We only have a few minutes. But I want to say one more thing. If you really understand grace, you're going to be free to be a good parent and free to tune in to your child so that depression doesn't have to happen. And, And I have a grace test on your handout that you have. If you pass that, I won't have time to do it now. If you pass it, you flunk grace. Now don't answer it with your head. Answer it with your gut working definition of grace, okay? So when, when it says, when I feel like I send, God loves me less, you, you all are sophisticated. You know that's tr- not true, but you might not really believe it here. So answer those questions from here, not here. And then if you've passed that test, you need to re-examine. The, um, it's gonna be, there's something really wonderful about Coming to the place where you realize you're a mess, um, you, you, we, we don't do perfection, we only do confession and repentance. We don't do perfection. That's not our thing. Our, our thing is repentance, God's perfect perfection. And there's a handout on the piano, a maturity, and it says maturity is dependence, uh, imperfection, Maturity is more and more realizing our imperfection and increasing our dependence. That's that's spiritual maturity. Well, you can do that, can't you? Paul said, uh, I glory in my weakness, the that power, the power of Christ rests upon me. You can do failure, so do failure, and, and let God do the, the succeeding part. But the reason that's important for parenting, a lot of the parenting problems, as I see it over the last 40 years, is parents have too many uh, agenda, and, and they're... they're trying to prove something, and they need their kids somehow to fulfill it, and you have to really watch that. But if you're free to be um, uh, a failure, because you know Christ is made perfect in your weakness, then you can apologize to your children. Do you know it's not where you hurt your children that ruins them? It's that you don't apologize, that you don't see it, and you let the the wound fester and stay there, and then you got a depressed kid, and a lot more than that as time goes on. That being said, we have, we're going to take three more minutes for questions. Did we cover it that well, or are you in shock? <laughs> and remember, you don't have to be a perfect parent. You just have to own it. So you haven't ruined your kids. You just have to go do a lot of confessing. Question. Questions?
1: I would have to say that would depend, I'm not not sure what Lottie's going to say, but I would have to say that would depend on the parent. Because if the parent is tuned um, tuned into the needs of the child, then it shouldn't matter what the birth order is. I'm not saying that birth order doesn't, Play a part in how a child develops, or in what they do. But as far as attachment goes, that's individual. That has to do with the bond between mom and child, and how the child, feel, whether or not the child feels secure. And so, it doesn't matter what order they come in. It just matters that mom is tuned into baby's needs at the time in the first three months, three to six months.
0: Oftentimes the middle child gets left out, but I'll tell you something, even if the mother does everything right, if the older brother, older sister is a shining star, then automatically the second one's gonna have uh, an adjustment, so you have to just pay attention. But if you're paying attention, then you see that's happening. Or if you have a child that's bullying, or a lot of times a parent favors a child and it bullies the other child, and the child knows that they have a parent's permission because they're the star. There's just a lot of little dynamics, and we, we get our stuff in the way as parents, and our kids aren't protected emotionally in, in the way they should be. Good question. Any more questions? Yes. What would I say for adoptive parents when what? Oh, wow. Well, Foster Klein started working with adopted parents in attachment because there's more problem because if, they, if they've suffered abuse or neglect or isolation then they don't, it doesn't always happen. They always say in attachment world, if you go to an orphanage, to pick out a child, don't take the one that, that cuddles up to you and sits on your lap and says, take me home. That's usually the unattached kid because they're, they're suave and smooth manipulators and they personable and they're, they're amazing. But there's a lot of issues, we have them all over America, kids coming from Russia, from Ukraine, from Latvia, who are not bonding and who are turning into terrors. Um, and if, and attachment work, in fact, Evergreen Colorado Attachment Center, Dr. Terry Levy, if you know anybody that has an attached kid. But you have to deal with it, because some of these kids are so ruthless, they'll call DCS and, and get all the kids taken from the parents because they'll make up lies. So there really is a, a problem with adopted kids, but here's the deal there's hope for adopted kids if you understand attachment but, but our society thinks that that attachment work is too rough on kids but they they have to do holdings to get to the to the kids soft part that and give up control but the whole point is, it is a risk to adopt kids. I'll have to tell you the truth, it's a risk. But most adoptions are successful, but there's a large majority, a large number of unsuccessful adoptions because of, of, of our, they, we call it RAD, our reactive attachment disorder. Um, do you know someone who's adopted? Are they having problems? Is she doing okay now? Is She doing okay now? Yeah. Okay. Okay. This <clears> turned out offline. We got a transition seminar. Okay. Right. Bye.